Good morning. Uh, this morning's reading is from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 17, uh, 7 to 24. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Halabar to Shur, to the east of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all these people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honour and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleating of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, you did not become the head of the tribes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission, saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best, of what was the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them, on, sacrifice them to the Lord your God of Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of, ra fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people, and so I gave in to them. Good morning, church. It's great to be in the Old Testament. We are um, going to look at a passage today from 1 Samuel 15. I'm going to be talking a bit about it. So if you're new to 1 Samuel or maybe new to the Old Testament, do not fear. We're going to be giving a bit of the background and context for that passage. But I was remembering this week one of my favourite holidays. Um, it was in Newcastle, um, actually, in about, about five and a half years ago. Charlie and I went on holiday to Newcastle, which everyone was like, why are you going to Newcastle? 
But we heard there was beautiful beaches there and there was enough to sort of do and we'd read about it. It was on the Lonely Planet, you know, top five places in Australia, undiscovered for holidays. So off we went and we just had the most beautiful, relaxing holiday. We had amazing weather. Who knows that amazing weather is good on holiday? Our friends just been to Hamilton Island this week and I got a text from my friend saying, yeah, the weather was just okay, you know. And sometimes it can just impact a holiday so much. We had beautiful weather, we sat on the beach a lot and we read a lot. We both read different things. One of the things I read on that holiday impacted me then and continues to impact me now. And it's a book that you're going to get to know a little bit more about through our current series, a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's a book called, uh, it's a book by Peter Scazzaro. Um, he's been a pastor in Queens in New York for years and years and years. And um, it's an incredible tool for understanding who we are and knowing God more, knowing ourselves better in order to know God more. And so we are doing a series this winter called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited to share some of the things that um, I've learned from this resource. I know some of you have also read, read this book and come across it as well. Um, but, you know, I was remembering this week my BC and AC kind of life, my before Christ and my after Christ life. I was remembering how when I was about eight and a half, I gave my life to Jesus and I was in a, a lunchtime Christian group at school. Um, and I had this teacher who was just so excited about sharing about Jesus with the whole class. And so there was kind of this mini revival that broke out in my class when I was in, um, in I think it was grade two or three or something like that. We actually, my family lived in England at the time, so I was in a, in a school there. But, you know, I was realising um, this week again, and as I thought about the impact of this book on my life and what I'm really hoping for us as a church to journey through in this series... I was realising again the difference that Jesus makes in my life. The fact that I have an identity that is not rooted in my achievement or, or my success or the things that go right in my life or for me, but that my identity is actually rooted in Jesus and who he is. And so in whatever season I find myself in, in every mountaintop and valley of my life, my identity is not shaken or changed. And, and so I know who I am because I know Jesus. Anyone here think back to your before Christ life? Can you think back to it? Some of us have only become Christians in the last five years in this room. So it's fresh, isn't it? But for those of us who've been travelling with Jesus longer, just invite you to think for a minute, what was my reality before Christ? How did I see myself? Um, how did I face things that were hard? Just thinking on that for a minute, it's, it's, a, it's a game changer when we think about the difference our faith has made transforming our lives. Hallelujah. Um, and I realised as I read that book on that holiday in Newcastle and as God really spoke deeply into some of the really deep parts of who I am, that discipleship can be a bit like an iceberg. Sometimes there can be huge areas of our lives, perhaps even the majority areas of our lives that are untouched by our faith in Jesus. And it's easy sometimes in our walk with Christ to, to become stuck 
and perhaps to plateau, to perhaps to get a point where we feel we're standing still. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah, where you're perhaps not moving forward. Perhaps there's things in your life that, that don't feel integrated when you think about your faith. There's something over here, but it's not quite relative to your faith. There's something over here, but you haven't quite given that to God yet. There's something over here, but actually I don't really feel comfortable praying through that, so I'll just leave it over there. And so my prayer and my heart for this series for our church is that we would know ourselves better, that we would open up our iceberg and give it to Christ and say, this is who I am. Um, I want to bring every part of my life to you and have it be impacted and touched and changed and shaped by you, Jesus. And so this is kind of a deep Deep thought, isn't it? It, it, it? Some people already in the feedback I've gotten this week, which has been so great, have said things like, oh, I can tell this is going to be kind of one of those like weighty series where God's going to speak. And yes, that's my prayer. And that is our expectation together. That as we hear God speak to us through this winter series over July and August, that we would know ourselves better and know God better, to be able to step in to all it is that God has for us, our identity, our future, the calling he's placed on each of our lives. Um, and as I said, it's already been so encouraging to hear so many of you feedback. I had chats and text messages and phone calls with a number of you this week. And as I did, um, I heard so many of you say things like, oh, that, you know, navigating the life stages of faith, that was so helpful as a, a way, a paradigm for understanding the journey of faith. Now, if you don't want to know what I'm talking about, check out our um, sermon from last week on our podcast if you missed it. The stages of faith thing really seems to have struck a chord with people. Um, knowing where we are on the journey um, of faith and whether we're in a time of, of new awareness, a time of paradox, a time of the wall, which I talked about last week, it can really help us grow and step forward in whatever the season is that we are in. And so just as early in our series as I launch out the series, I want to commend a few resources to you. I want to commend to you um, and invite you into reading the book. Um, some of you are readers, some of you are not. This is available at, um, on Amazon, Kurong, and as an ebook if you're an ebook person, audiobook if you're an audiobook person. So check it out, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Um, and a lot of what you'll be hearing, there'll be a lot of similar themes through our sermons as you would um, be picking up in the book. Um, also, there's a fantastic online tool that is free that is on the EHS website. And it's actually a 20 to 30 minute questionnaire that can help you work out where you are and perhaps what are the areas in your life that are um, perhaps maybe Jesus is inviting you to integrate a little further, a little deeper. So I commend to you that tool as well, information on that in our newsletter. If you want to check that out online, there's also a printed version. So please let me know or Tiff know if you'd like a printed version if you're not someone who is going to jump online and do an online, um, online questionnaire. And lastly, this really excellent devotional that actually I used in the first few months of this year um, is fantastic as well. So if you're interested, take a photo, look it up later. Um, it's a, I think it's a 40-day devotional, um, basically tracking along these themes of 
um, looking at who we are, our identity, how we can step into all of it, all that it is that God has for us. But one of the key ideas in the book and the key ideas of, of what we're going to be looking at in this series, which we've already launched into last week, is that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. They are actually completely integrated. I'll say it again. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. Because, you know, we are integrated beings. Um, we are people who, um, for whom, you know, one part, um, you know, influences another and another and another. And we are people who um, are complex and incredible the way God's made us, but we're integrated beings. And yet so often we don't live this way. We compartmentalise our faith. We say, okay, well, over here is, you know, my time with God when I'm on my own, but that shouldn't affect over here when I'm in, you know, having a coffee with my colleague. And that shouldn't affect over here when I'm doing my online banking and working out what to give to and, you know, where to put my money. And that shouldn't affect, you know, what I do when I go to High Point and spend money on clothes or whatever it is. And that shouldn't affect, you know, what I do online. We compartmentalise our lives so often. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And we can so often not remember that we are called to be integrated beings for every part of our lives to be shaped by our faith in Jesus. And I came across this really cool quote this week, um, which is a little bit condemnatory, so don't feel condemned. I felt a bit condemned by this quote, but it's a really good, challenging, provocative quote. Okay, I'm going to read it. Whether the issue is marriage and sexuality or money and care for the poor, evangelicals, that's people who believe in Jesus and the Bible, evangelicals today are living scandalously unbiblical lives. Ouch. The data suggests that in many crucial areas, evangelicals are not living any differently from their unbelieving neighbours. Now, to flip this quote into a positive, which I like to do because I'm a glass-half-full person, um, we have an invitation, church, to be a people of God in our community that is incredibly refreshing and different and attractive to people around us. You have a public of people, an audience of people around you who God's placed around you through a kinder, school, work, footy, soccer, the gym, you know, where you go to, you know, buy your, your groceries, you know, where you go to childcare. Um, we have people in our lives and you have a community of people who are watching you and who know you and who see you at close range and who are just ready to be surprised by the way your faith integrates with everything um, around your life and in your life and the way that you work out your faith in such a real way in, in every everyday, you know, small and large interaction that it's refreshing to the people around you. Um, we are to be the aroma of Christ, Scripture says. We are to leave a taste, a smell, a, you know, an imprint on people that is refreshing. Amen? And you think about the people around you who don't know Jesus. Do you reckon they're looking for that? Do you reckon they're looking for something different, something real, something authentic? Something that is what you see is what you get. Do you reckon? I think so. And so 
we have this amazing invitation, church, to be a people who are integrated, who let our faith shape every part of our lives, from you know, our credit card diet to our online diet to our, you know, the way we use our language. Um, I had this cool chat with a ministry friend this week. Um, we hadn't talked actually for nearly a year, but um, there's somebody that he knows, who I know, who might be interested in joining our ministry team, which is really exciting. Um, so we were talking about this person and, you know, having a bit of a conversation as well, catching up on life. And he was saying to me, you know, what's, what have you seen in your church in the six years? Because I was kind of singing your praises and talking about Williamstown and the renewal that God's been doing here in the time I've been with you um, and no doubt before as well. And he said to me, what do you reckon is the biggest shift you've seen in your church? And I thought, oh my goodness, I'm on the spot here. How do I, you know, summarise um, something that I've seen in our church? And I just said to him, you know, it's the fact that discipleship or following Jesus for people in our church and for me is known to want to affect every area of our lives. So it's the fact that following Jesus um, is something that you and I take seriously and say, yes, I want my faith to change every aspect of my life, the way I see my work, the way I see the person who lives next door, the way that I see money and, you know, what God's given. Um, and so that's what I said. I said discipleship is actually affecting and changing and shaping people's lives, which is super exciting. And that's not necessarily something you see in every single church in, you know, in, a, in a wide and deep way, which is just awesome to see here. And in this series, we're going to be looking at a number of scriptures which are going to help us to see what it is that God calls us to be, how he calls us to live out our faith and be integrated beings, to be emotionally healthy, spiritually mature followers of Jesus. Now, before we, um, before we jump right into 1 Samuel, uh, I've got a few kind of funny cartoons to show you. Before Charlie and I became parents, um, we came across this funny cartoon series and it was like a what not to do for parenting. So I'm going to show you a couple of these funny cartoons. I hope you'll find them funny. Okay. Playing the baby. Yes? No. Okay, so what not to do? Okay, fun games for baby. Good. Peekaboo. Bad chess. The baby looks quite bored. And lastly... Helping baby tease, yes, a teething ring. Maybe not give your dirty shoe. So this is a what not to do in parenting. But if we're looking for a what not to do in scripture, in the Old Testament particularly, one of the characters that, um, that we would look to is Saul. Um, and this is our theme for today, the problem of unhealthy emotional spirituality. We're looking at 1 Samuel 15, 7 to 24. Um, and we're looking at this passage when the Lord rejects Saul as king. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you'll probably know this passage. Some of us perhaps less familiar, but we're going to be unpacking it now. But as I said, if you're looking for a what not to do, um, if that cartoon was superimposed on, you know, what it looks like to be a leader, Saul is kind of the one that you would choose. He disobeys God's commands time and again. And he's someone who's both spiritually immature and emotionally immature. Um, Saul could have done with a copy um, of emotional, healthy spirituality to read. 
Um, so let's look together at 1 Samuel 15. I invite you, use your devices or your pew Bibles, as we've been doing, um, to look up this passage together. 1 Samuel 15 from verse 7. So great to look together at God's Word. So a little bit of a background, a bit of a primer to this passage is that Israel, God's people, want a king. And like all the other nations, they want to have a, a king, a leader. And they come to Samuel, this guy Samuel, and Samuel, and they, they come with this request to Samuel, and Samuel goes to God and the Lord says to Samuel, yeah, Israel's motives for wanting a king are not good. They're not good motives. But if a king is what they want, then yes, give them a king. Give Israel a king. Enter Saul. He's the first king of Israel and he's a pretty tragic figure. He starts out full of promise. He's tall. He's good looking. He seems to be a perfect candidate for a king. But he has deep character flaws. He is dishonest. He lacks integrity and he's incapable of managing his own mistakes. And these flaws run so deep that it, it, climactically in this passage we know that he disobeys God. And this is the ultimate no-no, to disobey God and his commands. And in our passage from 1 Samuel 15, an ageing Samuel confronts Saul and a prideful Saul is brought low. We're going to look at it together. So this um, story is introduced to us, um, talking about Saul's battles. It's that first number of verses talking about um, what Saul did in battle. The thing to take from this is that Saul, the, the scriptures tell us Saul goes against God's instructions. He doesn't obey God in full. Saul and his army, despite God's clear instruction otherwise, keep the best sheep and the oxen alive. So they don't carry out what God has instructed. And, um, and look at verse 10 with me. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all night. Um, early in the morning, verse 12, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Mount Carmel. There he set up a monument in his own honour. An example here of Saul seeking his own glory, desiring to set up basically a victory monument unto himself, uh, a kind of indication of what his interests were and what he was looking into. Um, verse 13, when Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Uh -uh. Dishonesty here in, this, um, in these words. Um, Saul's saying, you know, oh, yep, I've done everything God's commanded, and this is not true. So he's now being dishonest. We're seeing these character flaws. Um, Samuel confronts him um, about the fact that he actually is being dishonest and Saul attempts to shift the blame. Um, Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, they spared the best of the sheep. You know, oh, it was actually, oh, it wasn't just me, you know, this was actually the soldiers, this was a joint effort. We've all done that, haven't we? <laughs> it wasn't just me, it was this, 
and that happened. And, and so Saul is attempting to you know, defend um, his lack of, um, of integrity. Um, and so the passage goes on. Enough, Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. A few verses later, we'll pick up verse 22. And this is a very well-known passage. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Um, now, just a background here is Saul had been carrying out these religious acts, these offerings, these different um, Old Testament ways of honouring God. But he hadn't been doing these alongside being obedient to God fully, uh, listening to God. And so you see there's not this integration of, um, you know, religious acts, but being married with a heart of obedience to God. And so this was missing in Saul. He hadn't obeyed God in full and hadn't obeyed God as he had promised to do. And he hadn't quieted himself long enough to listen to God. Um, and verse 3, these cutting words, at the, uh, sorry, 23, verse 23 at the end. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. This is the bottom line. Saul's rejection by God is, is massive. It's a massive thing to happen. And then verse 24. Do you remember last week in our um, life stages of faith, the first piece of the pie, awareness, for those of you who are here, awareness about who we are and what's going on. I feel like verse 24 is, is an awareness moment for Saul because look with me, verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. It's like the light bulb turned on and things were clear for him. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. For Saul here, the fear of man was greater than the fear of God or the reverence of God. And there's been an awareness, there's been a light to turn on for Saul. So in summary, Saul's life was an example of someone who had an unhealthy emotional spirituality. He's not reflective. He's unaware of his fears. He's unaware of his need for approval. Um, he's unaware of his tendency towards self-deception and, you know, perhaps, you know, trying to make himself believe that he's doing okay. Um, and after Saul's downfall, as many of you know, David becomes king. It's shortly after this in scripture that that's recorded. Now, both Saul and David, in some ways, are, are relatively good military or both good military leaders, gifted, anointed and given that task. But unlike David, who we're going to learn more about, Saul makes little connection between his emotional world and his spirituality. It's like one compartment over here is completely separate with like a huge wall and over here is another compartment, his spiritual life or religious life. And unlike David, who often spends time listening to God and being in God's presence, remember David is one of the main um, authors of the Psalms, David is often quiet in the presence of God. You know, remember the word Psalm 51, creating me a clean heart, God. This is David's words um, of prayer to God. And so unlike David, we never see in Saul this passionate, you know, nurturing of spirituality, nurturing of who am I, God, and who are you, and where are we together? 
We don't see Saul seeking to be with God in the same way as we see with David's life. And over time, it destroys his, Saul's relationship with others. It destroys his leadership um, integrity and character integrity. And his relationship with God is broken down. So let's think today, what can we learn from Saul? What can we learn about what it is to have perhaps an unhealthy emotional spirituality? What not to do? What are the things to look for, pitfalls, areas that are so easy to fall into in our own lives? And I want to suggest that there's three ways that um, this scripture speaks to us about being followers of Jesus. We want to be followers of Jesus who are integrated, aware, and reflective. So I'm going to talk about these briefly. I'm going to invite us as well, each of these three ways, to think through what is one way this week, this month, the rest of this year, I could have a go at growing in being integrated, aware, and reflective. So firstly, God calls us to be integrated. The word integrity is, um, is completely linked to the word integrated. It's this idea that every part um, is, is completely in line and aligned with every other part. And this is what our friends and neighbours and co-workers are looking for in us. This idea that everything seems to fit together. Okay, we're not perfect and we make mistakes and we fall short. But actually our faith seems to kind of affect everything and infect everything. Um, and so we, there's this authenticity about living out faith that we want to strive for. So God calls us to be integrated, unlike Saul, who's the what not to do. God calls us to integrate our faith with every aspect of our lives. Um, and, and one of the ways that we can do this is just thinking about that iceberg illustration, bringing it before God and saying in a time of prayer, maybe you know, you're in the car, maybe you're doing a you know, quiet time with no other distractions, maybe this afternoon, take some time. God, what is under the surface of my iceberg. What is it, God, that you want to speak to me about through this series? And, and God, what is it that perhaps has been hidden from my side but that you see? just want to invite you to this week, today, sometime soon, allow Jesus access to your iceberg. Um, for me, five years ago, it was stuff around identity, who I am, how I found um, my worth. And they were the things God really spoke to me about then and God's continuing to work on. Um, you know, I've spoken before, I'm a total perfectionist. God continues to work on that with me, this idea that I don't need to be perfect. I don't need to have all my ducks in a row. Hallelujah. So what about you? What about your iceberg? Just love you to think this week, invite you to think as we journey through this series together this winter. What is it, Jesus, that you want to speak into, to, to shape, to bring your truth, to speak your word over? Because we all have an iceberg. We all have things under the surface, perhaps untapped, and Jesus calls us in a trajectory of movement, follow me into the next thing. And, and Jesus wants to free us from things that have been you know, bondages to us. They've been holding us back. They've been making us plateau. Um, prayer ministry is a great way as well to come and, and allow Jesus access to your iceberg. So come for prayer um, today or any week. It'll be awesome. Secondly, God wants us to be aware. Saul in this passage from 1 Samuel was completely unaware of so many things. And God calls us to an awareness. 
um, of who we are and what's going on and what are the things that perhaps have been holding us back, what are the areas in our story, perhaps things from our family of origin or things of our growing up years that have shaped us. Remember, awareness is the first stage um, in the life cycles of faith we looked at last week. And in verse 24 of our passage, there's this incredible kind of moment where Saul comes to a new awareness. I've sinned, I've violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the people and so I gave in to them. It's like, I'm going to tell it as it really is. And so there's this transformation that happens that we notice. And one of the most um, formative ways in my own life around awareness and getting awareness is silence. Now, silence isn't something that a lot of us do really well. We are in such a noisy culture, a culture that doesn't like to turn off music, a culture that doesn't like to put away a phone, a culture that doesn't like to turn off media or YouTube or the TV. But silence, and in particular in my life this year, two minutes of silence um, at certain points in the day has been really life-transforming for me. And I know for many of you, silence is something that you actually integrate into your everyday life, which is awesome. I just want to encourage you, perhaps if silence isn't something that you um, have had as a spiritual practice, give it a go. Start with one or two minutes. If you feel there's a good safety in putting on a timer, put on a timer somewhere and then you know that, you know, it feels, you're going to know how long it is and um, perhaps that's a good way to start. But in silence, my experience has been that an awareness comes when we sit not with an agenda, not with prayer points, not with even a scripture in front of us, but simply in silence before God. There's an awareness that comes that wasn't there before. God speaks, God gives a clarity to us in that time. How many have experienced silence as being a time of new awareness? Yeah, probably lots of us. And so be encouraged, think about it. Wonder what your life could look like with adding in silence or perhaps adding in some more silence um, into your life. Okay, very quickly now, reflective. We want to be followers of Jesus who are reflective. Saul didn't reflect. He didn't stop. He didn't take stock. He didn't stop and pause. Um, one of the most incredible ways for us to reflect and to stop and pause and, and literally cease is what Sabbath means, is to Sabbath, to rest. To stop work, to stop our usual activities of doing and remember that we are human beings. So I'd love to invite you and re-invite you because Sabbath is something we've talked about um, quite a bit. There's a number of sermons on Sabbath on our podcast. But if you don't regularly stop work, if you don't regularly turn off technology, if you don't regularly, you know, abstain from um, things that perhaps keep you doing, to really invite you to think about what could be a chunk of time, a day, three hours, half a day, 6 p.m. one night to 6 p.m. the next night, whatever it looks like for you. Remember um, that we are invited to Sabbath on the seventh day God rested and he invites us into his rest. There's been a lot here this morning in content, but I wonder what it is that God's speaking to you. I wonder what it is that the Spirit is calling you into. Why don't we pause and have a moment to be still before God.
Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living and active and speaks into every single one of our hearts your truth. Oh God, would you align our hearts, our agendas, our habits, our calendars, our emotional lives with your life and your purposes and your ways. And God, would you, out of today's message, just would you keep speaking and impressing those things that only you want to and can speak and impress on us. We just offer ourselves afresh. We are your followers, Jesus, and we want to follow you with every aspect of our lives. We want to be integrated in the way we follow you in our lives so that others may know of your love and the good news, Jesus, of who you are. To your glory. In your name we pray. And the whole church said, Amen. Amen.